BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello and welcome back to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed and I'm joined as always by my man Mike Luciano. Mike, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm feeling pretty good. I mean, it, even though it's been a while, the Aaron Rodgers euphoria is still there. Now that there's only, I think, 75 days left till opening day, it's still, I still get that warm, tingly feeling down inside. It's just making me feel good that I finally got a quarterback. So let's dive into this Jet Press episode. But before we do all that, you could find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it may be that you get your podcasts. We are all over the podcasting interwebs. Make sure you go and leave us a review on Apple especially. I don't know what it is, man. I swear it's not for ego. It's for the business side. Apple loves those reviews, man, that algorithm. So if you want to support the show, that's a good way to do it. Also, make sure to find us over on YouTube at The Jet Press. That's where you can subscribe and get the whole back catalog of everything we've done. So let's go right into a surprisingly busy week because there have been some more rumors surrounding the Jets, of course, with Dalvin Cook, the hot name, the bell of the ball in terms of free agency. It was him and DeAndre Hopkins kind of co-billing right now. Uh, The Jets have pretty much said from very early on that DeAndre Hopkins is not happening. Uh, We both have wanted DeAndre Hopkins to happen. We both think he'd be a fantastic addition and really a game changer for a team that's trying to win a championship. Doesn't seem like the Jets want to do that for whatever reason. Money, fit, who knows? They don't want to do it. So the next big name on there is Dalvin Cook, who is still an incredibly productive running back, even though Minnesota decided to part ways with him. You know, he's aging and there's things like that, but Dalvin Cook is still a really high-end running back in this league. And Tyler Conklin also agrees with that sentiment. Tyler Conklin, the Jets' tight end, of course, came over from Minnesota, who blocked for Dalvin Cook for years and years and years. He wants Dalvin Cook saying that there is, quote, plenty of room available because uh, we got room for whoever wants to come and help us win a Super Bowl. That's what he said on uh, Good Morning Football the other day. And uh, the Cook thing, uh, me and Justin have incredibly different opinions on the Dalvin Cook thing, I think. Now, I'm in the pro-Cook camp just because I know they got Brees Hall and I know they got Michael Carter, who will come up later in the show, and Israel Abanacanda, who I'm really high on as a running back. I get that's a crowded running back room as it is. And in 2023, sinking that much equity, for lack of a better word, into your running back room may not be the best way to spend all your money, but very rarely is a player like Dalvin Cook, who's just going to turn 28 years old. That's not like he's 37. It's not like Frank Gore at the end of his career, as Jets fans remember, or Adrian Peterson bouncing around between different teams at age 35. That's not what this is. 
this guy's still a thousand yard receiver, uh, receiver, thousand yard running back, pretty firmly, I would say. 1,173 yards last year, and he's had at least 1,100 in four straight years, including a 1,500 yard year in just 14 games in 2020. So that's just not a high end running back production. That's almost elite running back production. And he got that with a Vikings offensive line that really was all over the place. They had a couple good individual players, but collectively it just never really seemed to click. So I think that if you give him a get him to like an Aaron Rodgers where he's got I think an equal offensive line or at least one that has the potential to be better than what they got in Minnesota. Aaron Rodgers, all these weapons, a coach in Nathaniel Hackett who for all of his flaws has typically had a good history with running backs and getting production out of running backs. I think that's a pretty good fit personally. And I'm I'm glad that Tyler Conklin is keeping the pressure on the Jets, especially now that they have, I believe the most recent betting on this all, they're plus 350, which makes them the favorites among all the uh, AFC teams out there, NFL teams out there even, for Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I don't know if it's just because it's like June and there's not a lot going on, but it, it does seem like the Jets are kind of, not the Jets necessarily, but Jets players are going like all on full court press to try and recruit Dalvin Cook here. We saw it with Odell Beckham. Obviously, we saw it with Aaron Rodgers. Though it's had different outcomes, of course. But yeah, I, I, you are right. I see the situation a little bit differently than you. Uh, I, I think I see the running back situation very similar to how I see the Jets wide receiver situation. But the issue to me is I just think DeAndre Hopkins is a significantly better player and moves the needle a lot more than Dalvin Cook does at this stage. It's not that Cook's a bad player by any means. Let me get that straight. I think I've I think I've made that clear, but I don't know. I don't want anybody to twist my words, misconstrue what I'm saying. Dalvin Cook's still a good player. Like he's still a good player. He's had four consecutive years of 1,100 yards or more on the ground, four straight Pro Bowls, which, you know, the Pro Bowl doesn't mean a ton, but it still means something. Um, so he's a good player, right? And I get totally why the Jets are interested in Dalvin Cook, seeing that Brees Hall is still working his way back from the knee injury. They hope he's going to be ready for week one, but there's no guarantee. In fact, I would be surprised if he's given a full workload early on in, in the season. Uh, and you have some questions with the running back room. While there's potential there, I also really like Izzy Abanacanda. I think he could be very good. And the Jets seem to believe that he can contribute early. There's questions about Michael Carter. There's questions about Zonovan Knight because – Carter had a disappointing sophomore season with the Jets. Zonovan Knight flashed and then kind of tapered off later last year. Now, a lot of that was because the Jets' offensive line was very beaten up, very injured by that point, so they weren't really given much to work with. But I totally get wanting to bring in a player like Dalvin Cook, given his experience, given his production. It makes sense. The issue to me just comes down to what I think he's going to get. Now, I could be wrong. But the report, at least, that came out earlier in the offseason, I believe it was actually earlier this month, was that it was from Tom Palacero, said that Dalvin Cook is looking for a significant contract in free agency. He's not looking to sign a contract worth even five to six million. He's looking upwards to eight to nine million dollars a year, which to me, you just can't pay that for Dalvin Cook. You can't pay that. That's legitimately, I think, borderline, if not top 10 running back money, because that's that's what running backs always are like right now. Um, so I just I think paying anything close to that would be ridiculous. I don't think the Jets would do that, first of all. I think that they're interested, but they're clearly always interested at their own price point. We know how Joe, Joe Douglas operates. We know how he works with these things. He's not giving Dalvin Cook $9 million a year, so I'm not concerned about that. The issue is I just think there's going to be teams out there willing to pay more than the Jets. Maybe that's the Miami Dolphins. Of course, Cook has experience in Florida, so it would not be a surprise if he wanted to go back home to Florida. Um there's other teams out there as well that are interested, maybe even like the Patriots, right? Getting some depth behind Ramondre Stevenson. There's other teams that will definitely have interest in Dalvin Cook. And I think 
those other teams will be willing to pay more. So unless Dalvin Cook is willing to take a discount to come to the Jets, which maybe he is, the Jets have kind of become somewhat of a ring-chasing team, right? Like they're kind of like the Bucks of, of the past. They're a team that, hey, they have a short Super Bowl window, but that window's legitimately very open. They can contend for the Super Bowl this year if all goes right. And teams, or I should say players, see that. Dalvin Cook, maybe he's one of those players. Maybe he comes to the Jets and is willing to take a – one year, you know, $4 million contract with incentives. If that happens, I'm on board. Like, I think $4 million is probably what I'm capping it at. I wouldn't want to go anything much more than that. Uh, I just don't know if he would take that. So that's kind of my issue with Dalvin Cook. I don't think he moves needle as much as DeAndre Hopkins does. So I'm not willing to, to go out of my way to try and, you know, offer him a big contract that's going to exceed everyone else's deals. But I'm not surprised that all the Jets are interested. And I wouldn't be upset if they signed into the roster as long as it was for a reasonable contract. Now, two two points I want to go branching off of your uh, your argument here. Number one is Dalvin Cook is worth more than four million as a player to me personally. So now double digits, that's a little expensive. But there's got to be a happy middle ground. And I think the longer this goes on, the more it benefits the Jets because that officially that price tag, or at least what Cook is asking for, is going to get whittled down and down and down. And then maybe he'll come to some sort of middle ground with the Jets because. He's not a guy who's just going to sit out the whole year. He's not going to levy on Bellas. I mean, he could ruin his career if he does that. So he's going to play next year. Number two, I'm glad you brought up the other teams because I, I can't remember if this is the exact out, but I remember looking at where he's projected to go. And I believe if you take the Jets out, the other three top teams are the other three AFC East teams. Mm-hmm. And they all have a need for him. I mean, Buffalo has Damian Harris. They just signed him for agency. But, I mean, Damian Harris lost his starting job. He's no guarantee. James Cook was not overly impressive. His brother – Think about that though. What if he wants to join his brother at Buffalo? Really fun. That would be really cool. That's that's something there. New England always loves having a bunch of backs. Ramondre Stevenson and Cook could be one of the best in football, and they're just going to run the football until everybody just gives up physically. I mean, that could be really deadly, especially for a team that I think has a little bit of a limited quarterback and a limited offensive structure. Getting him could really vaunt them up and make them, I think, a playoff team. And then Miami, the obvious one, Florida guy, Florida State alum. Need at running back. I mean, Raheem Mostert's banged up. Devon A. Chain is, I think, a little too skinny for every down in between the tackles work. He's like 180 pounds. I mean, that that makes a ton of sense, and that's a legit difference maker because New York and Miami, in my opinion, are not too far apart. If Miami gets a guy like Dalvin Cook, I mean, I don't think it'd be outrageous to say that could make Miami potentially better than the Jets or maybe the best team in the AFC East, depending on how good you think Buffalo is. I mean, these are not insignificant variables. So the Jets have to be aware of the fact that if they let Dalvin Cook leave or they pursue Dalvin Cook and are not, they don't end up with him, they got to be prepared for him going to a rival in a year where they are neck and neck with a lot of their big rivals. That could really change the scope of the division. Do you want you want my hot take really quick about Dalvin Cook in a specific AFC's team? Okay, let's hear it. I think that Dalvin Cook would be the third best running back on the Miami Dolphins. Behind Mostert? Behind Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. Because Jeff Wilson dude. legitimately really good last year. I'm not even – dude, oh. listen to me here, okay? Production-wise, you're looking at Cook's production. 1,100 yards again last year, 4.4 yards per carry. He was really good. Efficiency, he ranked near dead last in almost every single analytic. He was not nearly as good as his production would indicate. I'm not saying that Dalvin Cook is bad. I'm very high on Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. I think they got a really good running back to him. I think he's obviously worse than Ramondre Stevenson at this stage. He'd be the second best running back on the Patriots. He'd also be the second best running back on the Jets. And 
probably the best running back on the Buffalo Bills because they don't really have much there. Look, as a, as a fantasy owner of Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, I don't want him going to either of those teams. Um, but I, I genuinely think he'd be the third best running back in the Miami Dolphins. Maybe that's a crazy statement. I know it sounds crazy. Jeff but Wilson I, I, and him are like the same age. So. Jeff Wilson, but Jeff Wilson was actually good last year. Like Dalvin Cook. He he ranked dead last in, yard, in yards, uh, rushing yards over expected in the entire NFL. That's the I mean, stat that's, I just can't I get behind. I know that that's just one stat, but there's other analytics out there that show he wasn't as good. He's also ranked among the, enti- in the among the lead leaders in fumbles and drops over the last four years. He's so you know I would say this. He's always had those issues with fumbles, with drops. He's had some durability concerns, but he's been able right. to make up it, make up for it with his rushing ability. But last year, his his efficiency plummeted. He was not a very efficient running back. And so maybe, maybe it's just a down year. It happens with running backs sometimes. Obviously, he wasn't helped out by a not-so-great Vikings offensive line. But maybe it's also because he's had a ton of mileage, a lot more than Jeff Wilson, by the way, a lot more mileage than Jeff Wilson. Uh, and he's he's 28, you know, so he's going to turn 28, I think, in like August or whatever. Uh, so, you know, it, maybe it's a sign of things to come. With, with running backs who have that much mileage, generally that's what happens. They start to hit a cliff. And I think we already saw that cliff with Dalvin Cook last year. That's not to say he's bad, but I just don't think we're ever going to get anything remotely close to what he used to be. So I'm, I'm projecting essentially when I say that if he goes to the Dolphins, he would be their third best running back. That's that's my projection when I say that. I think he will be their third best running back. Mostert's also 31 and has some serious injury problems too. So if you're, you're right, mileage. But he was also really good last year. Like, yes, you're you're totally right. And he's also a real, I, I, I will say this. I do think that Cook would be a good fit in that, in that offense. Oh yeah, um, totally. Like that offensive line of Mike yeah. McDaniel, totally. I think he'd be a really, really good fit um, with, with, you know, Mike McDaniel's offense and in, in, you know, in that offensive scheme uh, alongside Mostert and Wilson, who are both very good fits. But to me, I, I think of the, of the teams in the AFC is the Dolphins have the least need for Cook. And that includes the Jets because I just think that Mostert and Wilson are good. I like Devin Achey and I'd like to see what he could do. Miles Gaskin's just a guy, you know, Salvan Ahmed. I think he's still there. He's not very good. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they have two better running backs, With whereas the Patriots and Bills and Jets, they don't really have anybody behind their guys. The Bills don't have anybody. You know, James Cook, I don't know if he's ever going to be a three-down guy. I like his pass-catching upside, but I don't know. that's that's my hot take. I don't dislike Dalvin Cook. That's kind of a combination of me being lower on Cook than most people and higher on Mostert and Wilson than most people. Fair point. And with that, we'll put the Cook – uh, war to rest until Dalvin Cook signs, which knowing else will probably be in like an hour from now. And so then, signs with the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, it'll sign Dolphins and render the whole podcast moot, knowing our our luck with recording these things. But uh, go, going on to the the hot topic of the day, that is not even really related to the on field product. It is the behind the scenes stuff. It's Hard Knocks. So for those that don't know, basically Hard Knocks has a rotating system where every year there's a bunch of different factors in terms of. Uh, like you can't be on if you have a new coach and a bunch of different yep you can be on after a certain amount of years basically only four or five teams this year hit all of the criteria needed to appear on the show the Jets being one of them and pretty much all of those teams have said we don't want to be on hard knocks I think the Saints were one they said no I think the Bears were another one they said they don't want to the Jets being one of the four or five also do not want to be on hard knocks which is going to give you a behind the scenes look at training camp and how they get the team ready and get everything installed they don't want to be on it unnecessary distraction and i'm i'm kind of with them on that even though dominique fox was on first take this morning said you're a bad coach if it's a distraction i mean <laughs> saying like if you, i mean if you I, I hate it, june i hate june in football i hate it i hate it so much yeah I, I mean i all right if you let it overtake you and ruin your season yeah you're a bad coach but it can still be annoying 
<laughs> it could still be an, an irritant. And uh, the league also has the power to basically force you to uh, to appear on the show. And it seems like they're going to do that with the Jets. And th- maybe this is just coming from me personally, just my viewing habits. I do not like Hard Knocks at all. Like, I just never, not like I detest the idea of the show or its creation. I just don't find it entertaining. So the idea that you're just giving my team, the team that I am hoping can compete for a Super Bowl, another unnecessary distraction just because they have Aaron Rodgers and because they make for good theater, something about it just seems like, oh, like the fact that they're on, it seems like they're trying to mess up, that something's going to get messed up. There's going to be some weird thing that happens in the course of hard knocks because the team obviously doesn't have control over the final cut and what it's going to look like. And some quote's going to be taken out of context or Aaron Rodgers is going to say something about RFK Jr. and it's going to go viral. And it's something that I don't want to happen or something Jets fans don't want to happen is going to transpire, I feel like, if they get hard knocks, which I call me self, call me selfish. I don't want that to happen. See, the thing is, I think it's inevitable. Regardless of whether they're on hard knocks or not, the Jets are going to be under a microscope this year because they got Aaron Rodgers, because they have all the preseason hype. Everyone's expecting them to be, you know, legitimately a Super Bowl contender. We were just talking about that. And after a decade, over a decade of not even making the playoffs, that's that means there's going to be a lot of expectations and people are going to be paying attention to this Jets team. So I think regardless of whether they're on hard knocks or not, it's inevitable. I like Hard Knocks. I, I I enjoy watching it. I generally try to watch it each year, at least watch some of it. Um, I don't think it really has a major effect on a team's success. Obviously, the last time the Jets were on Hard Knocks, they made the AFC Championship game. Now, I, I believe you, you were talking about this before the show. No team has ever, or no team since then has, that has been on Hard Knocks has won a playoff game. One team has the Rams in the COVID year. That was the one, one. team. Sure. But like at the same time, they're also choosing bad teams because, as you mentioned, that criteria for a team being forced to to be on the show, they can't have appeared on the show within the last 10 years. They can't have a first year head coach, but they also can't have made the playoffs in either the last two years. So they're not picking the Chiefs to be on hard knocks. The Chiefs would just say no. They don't want to do it. The only teams that can be forced are teams that generally haven't been pretty good recently. So that is probably a, a bigger correlation in my mind. Um, the NFL generally doesn't like forcing teams, but it isn't unprecedented. They've done it before the 2019 Raiders. It was was Mark Davis came out and said, Hey, we don't want to be on hard knocks. And they were still chosen anyway. Of course, that was the whole Antonio Brown year. There was a lot going on. They had to move to to Vegas. There was a lot, a lot going on with the Raiders at that time. So they were an obvious pick. The NFL was like, even if you're saying no, we're still picking you because they had the ability to do so. I think it's going to be very similar with the Jets. Like you said, the Saints and the the Bears have both publicly said, or I, I think I know the Bears have publicly said it. Either the Saints have pri- privately or publicly said that they don't want to appear on it. According to the report from Mike Florio, uh, the Commanders, who are the other the other of the four teams that can be can be like forced to do it are apparently open to it if they're assigned it. Like, they're not volunteering, but they're not going to outright say no, which, you know, they wouldn't be able to anyway, but they're not outright saying no to it. That said, the NFL wants the Jets. The NFL clearly wants the Jets, and it's obvious, even aside from Aaron Rodgers, which they can make 75% of the show about Aaron Rodgers, and they probably would. But even aside from that, you have everything going on with Quinn Williams and his extension drama. You have a bunch of really young and charismatic guys on this team, like Sauce Gardner, like Garrett Wilson, even like someone like Michael Carter, I think would thrive on, on a show like Hard Knocks. Uh, you have Mekhi Becton's road to recovery. Everything going on you know, with Carl Lawson, you know, he's kind of entering a make-or-break season. More on that later, potentially. Uh, th- there's just so much star power and so much intrigue with this Jets roster that it's so hard to like. like the, I, I totally get why the NFL wants them on the show. It seems inevitable that it's going to happen. 
I'm cool with it. Obviously, I think the biggest detriment for the Jets is that they have their own documentary series, One Jets Drive, which is phenomenal. They do amazing work with that. And so now you're going to have the – the I don't know if they'd keep doing that. My guess is they would, but I'm not sure how that – I don't know if HBO would like that. I don't know how they'd go with that, go about that. But One they Jets Drive own. is the superior product. I'm not just saying that to, like, yeah. you know, schlop up all the uh, – the state run, you know, propaganda here, but I mean, it's, it's a better product. It's a great, it's great. They put out a really, really good product. Um, and obviously the, the big difference, like you just mentioned is they can kind of curate that and decide what goes out to the public. They're not going to release anything that they don't want to be released. You don't get that privilege on, on hard knocks. Hard knocks is releasing whatever the hell they want to release. In so fact, they may release more things you don't want to release. That's what yeah. that like you said our Quinn and Williams extended drama. It's like I don't want that on everybody's TV screen. I want that handled, you know, in a negotiation room. Well, best way to do that is to get it done before training camp. <laughs> That's the best way to do that. I, I think that might happen. But yeah. hey, either way, it's more content, which is always fun, especially for us that you know we live on content, we thrive on content. Uh, but it could be a distraction at the same time. I don't particularly care. I don't think it's going to have a major impact in the season, and I also think that the headlines are going to be there regardless of whether they're on hard knocks. Well, one thing I hated though is always when they show like people getting cut because it's like uh, oh, this is the most heartbreaking moment of your life. Like many of these guys probably aren't going to play football again. So it's like, oh, yeah, your football dreams end and you're going to end up working as like, you know, uh, like a marketing associate in like a year and a half and never play football again. It's like, let's have your demise televised in front of everybody. Widescreen, HD. It's I don't know if I like that. We got to do a segment like next week or something where we look at uh, assuming that they're going to be on hard knocks, right? Where we look at guys who like pick out players who we think are going to be like the hard knocks darlings of the year, right? Oh, I got, I got one. I got one that I actually definitely want to see legitimately. Save it, save it for, for next week. No, if we, I, I got to say it now. I got to <laughs> okay, say right, it. Who is it? Who is it? Michael Clemens. Oh, for sure. Dude. I got, I got the, sure. the, the league needs to know about this guy. I, I find it funny too, because it's one thing to have this reputation as like a big, scary dude, mm-hmm. like to develop that over time, like in Dominic and Sue with the lions to like develop this reputation. Like, to come into the league like that mm-hmm. and everybody like I remember the, the Jets did like a little Twitter segment and it was like uh who would be with you in a haunted house it was around like Halloween time and everybody the vets and everybody oh Michael Clements Michael Clements yeah yeah that is, that is just, a great shout <laughs> I mean the the voice and the septum piercing and it's just everything everything works to make it he's awesome I love Michael Clements so uh Leany in chat here uh has a good idea about or a good viewpoint thing on hard knocks which is uh when they're on 2010 it was awesome i don't believe it's a distraction i would not mind them being on it again more jets access the better it's i yeah yeah i get that it's just i don't trust the hbo producers i know what the hbo producers are looking for and it's not like to show everybody how great alan lazard and, and Corey davis are it's to find drama and intrigue and stir the pot and that's what i don't need especially exactly that's fun i agree with you leaning good 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 <laughs> well, it's not agree. fun to me because because I, I want the jets to go 17 and 0 and win games i don't want and I, I want the headlines to be about how awesome aaron Rodgers is throwing four touchdowns not oh he's talking about 9-11 conspiracies with and some of the rookies be. those headlines will come once the season starts look we're gonna get the headlines the those 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 clickbaity, you know, nonsense headlines regardless. Rodgers is going to say something silly, whether it's in a press conference or something. It's going to happen. We know this. It's fine. This is the era. You signed up for this. Like the Jets. I want less of it to happen. I don't know. (laughs) I I understand. I understand. I think it'll be fun. So 
before uh, our next segment, though, is uh, no matter if they're on TV or not, if this is a televised competition or not, certain players are going to be in for pivotal seasons, make or break seasons, you could even call them, uh, in terms of their status with the New York Jets. A couple of these guys, like I think it's legitimate to say, like if they stumble even a little bit with this new organizational directive and mindset to keep winning now and build around Aaron Rodgers, I think it's fair to say they're not going to be around in 2023. And the guy who I think immediately stands out as a guy where it's like, you got to get your shit together immediately is Michael Carter. Because Michael Carter, I mean, we're talking about making Michael Carter essentially the third string running back or maybe even the fourth string running back if they bring in Dalvin Cook. I mean, that's how far his star has fallen. For a guy who, I brought this up a couple of times because it really baffles me. I mean, when he was at North Carolina with Javante Williams, they had like a little smash and dash thing going on. Michael Carter was the dash of, of the smash and dash. And he's not, he wasn't dashing a lot last year with the Jets. It was a lot of four-yard twisting runs up the middle. And I know the offensive line was banged up. And I know that Mike LaFleur did some good things, but he never really had the best like running game philosophy he didn't pick that up from Sean McVay he got more of Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan's passing traits so I get that he didn't have the best infrastructure but I mean damn man three and a half yards of carry three touchdowns despite starting a lot and getting a pretty good workload and then eventually getting overtaken by Zonovan Bam Knight an undrafted rookie who wasn't even particularly good in his own right I mean that that is not setting you up for success especially now that Brees Hall I think it's fair to say even though he only played five games exceeded expectations I mean, he hit the ground running immediately and immediately said, I'm a high-end running back in this league, which you don't always get from second-round running backs immediately. So Carter, at his best, Michael Carter is going to be the number two running back this year. And even again, that situation is is tenuous considering how the Jets have openly courted other running backs. So if you don't get up to you know the mid-fours, low-fours in yards per carry even, just to show that efficiency is there, I mean, then that'd be curtains for Michael Carter in New York. Oh, the offensive Michael Carter. Defensive Michael Carter is is fine. Offensive Michael Carter, you got to pick it up, man. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely not wrong. I even say it's a make-or-break summer for him, even if he, you know, before the season starts, because he needs to show this summer that he can still contribute because he's he's competing for, for playing time. And if they sign Dalvin Cook, I think he's competing for a roster spot because if they sign Dalvin Cook, uh, Izzy's not going anywhere. Banacan is not going anywhere. Assuming that Brees Hall is on the week one roster, which all indications are that he will be, they're not going to carry five running backs. So that means either Michael Carter or Zonovan Knight are gone. And whether they trade one of them or just outright release them, one of those guys isn't making the team. So if they sign Cook, yeah, Carter is, I think he's fighting for a, a roster spot. But absolutely, even if they don't sign Cook, Carter's still fighting for, for his Jets future this season. I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball to a guy who I think maybe, you know, maybe other than I think the second person you're going to talk about has more to prove than anybody this season. Uh, And it's Carl Lawson. And I absolutely loved the Carl Lawson signing when the Jets made it. It was my favorite move of the entire offseason when they did that. It was three years, 45 million they signed him to. Big money deal. He was hopefully expected to be their next big, you know, their next great edge rusher, essentially the best one that they had had since John Abraham. And the early signs were really promising. That summer, that summer of 2021, he was absolutely tearing it up in training camp. He looked like maybe the best player on the entire Jets roster. And then, of course, he tore his Achilles in that joint practice with the Green Bay Packers. Tragic. It was awful. And he obviously he missed his entire first year. Comes back 2022. 
recovered, you know, rehab for the entire offseason. Unfortunately, we don't find out until after. I believe we found this out in January. But he suffered a setback uh, at some point during his rehab process. He didn't start running again until a few weeks before training camp. A few weeks. He wasn't even running until, until a few weeks before training camp. That's ridiculous. And the dude went on to play all 17 games. He had seven sacks. I think anybody watching him can say that he clearly wasn't fully healthy. And obviously he wasn't because he, again, he had only started running a few weeks before training camp, which I'm going to repeat that over and over again, because that's ridiculous that the guy played the entire season after that. Uh, but clearly he wasn't, he wasn't his same explosive self. I think his power was there and he was kind of focusing and relying more on his bull rush and his power than the, the athleticism and the agility that he had showed previously with the Bengals. And that, we hoped he was going to show with the Jets. So Carl Lawson's entering the last year of his, of his deal. There was a chance or a possibility, an option for the Jets to cut him this, this past offseason. They didn't do it. They paid themselves almost $15 million in cap space. They didn't do it because they believe this dude can still be the guy that they signed him to be a couple of offseasons ago now that he's another year removed from that torn Achilles. But he has to show it, right? He's entering the last year of his deal. They drafted Jermaine Johnson in last year's draft in the first round. They drafted Will McDonald this year. That's two first-round edge rushers in back-to-back drafts. You have John Franklin Myers still under contract. You have a guy like Michael Clemens. Maybe they keep Bryce up around. There's a lot of guys on that roster that are ready to take snaps from Carl Lawson if the Jets don't want to bring him back. So if he wants any opportunity, any chance to be back in 2024, or even, you know, even if it's not with the Jets, with another team, he needs to show that he can be that guy again. And I hope he can be because the dude is awesome. And he was great, like legitimately a great player with the Bengals. And I really, really want to see him do that. So I'm pulling for Carl Lawson. I'm very happy the Jets didn't go through with it and cut him and they restructured his deal. Uh, he basically took a pay cut as well to, to stay on the roster. So I'm very much looking forward to see what Carl Lawson can do, but definitely a make or break year for him. I feel like he's doing this year like he signed a one-year prove-it deal because, I yep. mean – Let's be on. Let's be honest here. I mean, I know Carl Lawson had some pedigree with with Cincinnati, but like if he was entering the free agent market, he's going to be. Uh, he's you he just turn. He's going to turn twenty eight actually uh, tomorrow. Actually, so oh, yeah, happy birthday, happy buddy. birthday, Carl Lawson. He's twenty eight, yeah. so he's going to be a twenty eight year old player with. He had some concerns. I think with injuries in college. Now mm-hmm. he's got an Achilles tear, and he had what five sacks last season? Seven. Sorry, seven sacks last season. Yeah. I mean, seven sacks in two years on Achilles tear is not really going to get you a big money deal. So I think he's doing it as all right. Let me just go in, let me get my eight, nine sacks, and then we'll reevaluate my NFL future after this year. Uh, I'm going to go back to the offensive side of the ball again, in terms of guys who are really in a make or break year. And I mean, boy, oh boy. I mean, this is this guy right here taking make or break literally because his body was broken down the last couple of years. Is Makai Becton, the (laughs) presumptive right tackle against his wishes. Cause he said, I am a left tackle. Until he's blue in the face because he wants to play left tackle for some ungodly reason. I mean, even though well, I get why he wants to play left tackle. I mean, every tackle wants to play left yeah. tackle, you know. Well, and play a home game in front of fans before Jeez. your fourth year, and you may get that sort of leeway and that sort of leverage to oh, make demands man. like that. Again, this we may criticize Mikai Beckton a little bit. We want him to do well. We think that he can be really good when he's healthy. He's shown he can be good when he's healthy. He's just he he has. The last two years have been complete washes for Mekhi Becton. So because of that, any sort of status he had within the organization and within the offense has been completely washed away. He has nothing guaranteed right now. And he, he's just, th- this is going to sound simple and sounds like a way to just reduce the argument. Or something, but I mean, he's got to step up. He's got to figure out a way to stay on the field. And I know you, you can't predict injuries and, and things like that. You can't, but 
Mackay Becton's just at a position now where all of the the giving him some some great a grace period, that's all gone. You got to come in. You got to be a bulldozer in the running game. You got to come in and you got to just shut people down as a right tackle, as a pass blocking right tackle. Hard to do, especially because he was a left tackle coming in. I always play right tackle in college. What I mean, I mean, God, that was like 2018, 2019. I mean, can we really take that as face value? He's going to go play that again after five years. I don't really buy that right now. So a lot of question marks around Makai Becton and a lot of things this offseason that I wish he probably, I think, should have handled differently in terms of how he's voiced his frustration with the last couple of years. Because, of course, you'd be frustrated. You're a football player and your body's preventing you from playing football often through no fault of your own. Like, I get that you're pissed off, but you know what? Channel that that rage, that, that vitriol, that vinegar that you got here and just Put it towards being the best right tackle you can be. Don't go tweeting weird stuff. Just go and play. Not to sound like dumb radio guy, but that's really sometimes dumb radio guy axioms apply here. I think it applies to Mackay Beckton. I feel like I'm talking to Boomer Esiason again. What the hell's going on? I'm talking to like a caller <laughs> from uh, Massapequa or something like that. Yeah, like I, I'll I'll defend Beckton a little bit. Oh, you're totally right. First of all, that I I agree. I think more than any player on the roster, he's entering a make or break season this year. Uh, obviously, the Jets declined his fifth year option, so he is a free agent at the end of the year. It all comes down to this season, not only for his Jets future, but for the future of the entire uh, or of his entire career, I'd say. Um, but I'll defend him a little bit and say that, I mean, dude, the dude has channeled that that anger and that frustration into, uh, you know, legitimate positive things for lack of a better term. He's he's down over 50 pounds. He's down to, I think it was like 342 was the last we had heard. Uh, so he's imagine losing 50 pounds and still weighing 342 pounds. It was the dude's massive, right? It was necessary. And obviously he seems to be in great shape. Hopefully he can channel that onto the field. And I, I, I very much hope he stays healthy, not only for the Jets' sake, because I do think that he, he's pretty much the key to that offensive line. I think that the ceiling of this Jets' offensive line is solely, almost solely dependent on Mekhi Becton, but also for him, because I want to see him succeed. I want to see him do well. Uh, Josh Kerr says something interesting in chat that we can talk about real quick before I get into my final player. Uh, he said, is Zach Wilson a make or break? What does he have to prove this season? Is there anything he can do to further lose favor with the organization? I mean – the last part they're pretty pissed at him right now, Josh. <laughs> I, I, I mean, yes, but also I don't know if he's going to really be given the opportunity to prove much. It's really just kind of what he's doing behind the scenes, what he's doing off the field, which it seems like he's doing everything right. You know, he he this entire offseason, he's basically been kind of keeping himself quiet. We didn't really hear it hear from him at all until OTAs, and then he said all the right things when when talking to the media. That's really all he can do. All he can do is just put in the work behind the scenes, try to continue to better himself. We'll see him a little bit or a lot probably in the preseason. Maybe he'll show some signs of improvement then. I don't know. But either way, he's likely on the roster next year because he's still under contract. They're going to decline his fifth-year option, barring anything completely unforeseen happening. Um, so he, he basically, I would say that he's a two-year make-or-break kind of project, right? Like he has two years to prove that maybe he can still be salvaged or maybe he can still salvage an NFL career. Uh, but for this season specifically, I think he's still got a little bit more time, at least since he's not going to be thrust into the starting lineup, hopefully, right? That's what we can hope. Right, right. Um, and my quick thought on Zach Wells before you get to your final player is like, I at least, un- I'm not, I'm out on him as a starting quarterback. I think that that's not an unreasonable take, but I understand maybe a guy like Nathaniel Hackett come in and be like, all right, I know guys get overdrafted sometimes, but like, this guy's got a cannon for an armor, was a number two, consensus number two pick mm-hmm. in a year where he may probably would have gone number one in most drafts and didn't have like generational Trevor Lawrence ahead of him. It's like he can't be this bad. 
Like, like there's no way he can be this bad. So I could at least see somebody taking some sort of extra effort to try to make him make something out of nothing here. For sure. Uh, my last player, uh, I'm going back to defense. So I'm doing two defensive players. You did two offensive players. I'm going to play that we definitely criticized quite a bit on this show. Uh, and I've definitely, you know, I, I've talked about how I honestly wish the Jets maybe made more of an effort to replace him this offseason, but they didn't. It's Jordan Whitehead. Uh, I'm rolling Jordan Whitehead, another guy who was entering the last year of his deal. The Jets signed him away from the Buccaneers, and they kind of knew somewhat of the player they were getting. They knew they were getting a player who can bring that physicality on defense, who can kind of be an enforcer in the back end of their secondary. Uh, but they also knew he had some weaknesses. He had missed tackle issues in Tampa Bay. His coverage has never been his, his calling card, his strength. Uh, but I'd still say, even knowing that, his first season with the Jets was a disappointment. And maybe part of that was playing alongside LaMarcus Joyner, who was not better. He was worse than Jordan Whitehead. But also, he had two great cornerbacks. So I think that kind of evens itself out. Jordan Whitehead was a weakness of the Jets' defense last season. I don't think he was a terrible safety. I think there were a lot worse out there. I think LaMarcus Joyner was one of those. But he was a below-average starter last season, specifically when it comes to tackling. And that's something that, again, we knew was an issue coming from Tampa Bay, but I think it became even more of an issue with the Jets. Uh, he had a 15.6% missed tackle rate last year, which among qualified safeties was the fourth worst, I believe. Uh, so that's that's bad. Like, that's that's really bad if, if that's the case. Um, and obviously, I think the Jets already have some issues maybe with their linebackers were tackling, so it was kind of um, amplified even more. They went out and traded for Chuck Clark, and I loved that move at the time. It was I, I called it a, a few weeks ago uh, my favorite move of the entire offseason or my favorite value move that the Jets had made. Unfortunately, Chuck Clark is now out for the season, very likely. He tore his ACL. Uh, so they went out and signed Adrian Amos. I think Amos is fine. He's a good player. He will start alongside Jordan Whitehead. They're both kind of also – they're both in a similar spot because they're both coming off disappointing seasons. I'd like to see both of them rebound. But specifically for Whitehead, I think this is even more important for him because, I mean, the guy is still young. What is he, 26? Really quickly looking it up. Should have had that pulled up. He's 26. Um, so I guess. <laughs> there you go, right? Like I somehow knew it. Um, but he's, he's entering the last year of his deal, but he's still very young. There's no reason why if he doesn't play well or if he plays well this year – the Jets couldn't look to bring him back. Like they totally could do that. Um, I know he's, you know, and they also they 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 restructured his deal, so he already has, I think, three million in dead cap after this or something like that with with you know deferring payments to, to future years. Um, but I would totally like to see if he can rebound this year and actually play well, right? And just in you know, be a more consistent player in the back of that defense, be more consistent in coverage, be more consistent as a tackler. The Jets can totally bring him back. So I, I think Jordan White has a good shout here alongside Carl Lawson. He doesn't necessarily get the publicity and the, the the attention that someone like Lawson does, but I think he's an important part of this defense because the Jets' safeties need to be better this year, and that, that starts with Jordan Whitehead. Tampa Whitehead, I think, is there. Now, Tampa Whitehead wasn't perfect, but it was certainly better than Jets' Whitehead. He's, yeah. he's in there. You just need the right combination of coaching motivation to, to get it out of him. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country... Buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. So we're going to close this show with another fun little uh, thought exercise. We want to go get your thoughts on this too, because Jets have not given us a ton to root for and celebrate over the last couple of years, but they have given us plenty of hateable figures mm-hmm. that have permeated the AFC East and Jets fandom. And uh, a couple, at least from my, this is just me personally, that they really stick out. I know there's a generation divide here specifically, and we're younger guys. So we're obviously, I think, going to be a lot more, New England slanted just because like I, I can remember sitting at a Jets game and hearing a guy just euphorically excited that the Dolphins were getting killed. They were they were playing the Jets. The Jets were playing like I think Carolina or something like that. But the Dolphins were getting killed, and he was thrilled. And I go, man, you're really even more happy than the Patriots. You hate the Dolphins more than the Patriots. He goes, and like with steely like like war veteran eyes, like fortunate <laughs> son playing in the back. He's seen some stuff. He just goes, you weren't here for Marino, man. <laughs> so I can get that if you're that old, you probably hate Dan Marino more. And if you're probably in between that, you probably hate Jim Kelly more. Like I, I can get all that. But the amount of misery that Tom Brady has wrecked on my I've wrecked on my life. Not mm-hmm. in some like big existential way, but how he constantly ruins my Sundays. One one seventh of the week consistently ruined by Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, how like I knew he had to be an easy number one because it's like we were saying earlier, it's like if somebody said name a diver, of course everybody would say Greg Luganis or, or something like that. It'd always be the one. If you said name somebody Jets fans hate, I mean, Tom Brady had to be the one. I mean, this was an anomaly of of hate, of hating. It was it was so goddamn infuriating for 20 years. The other thing, too, actually, my they're actually kind of even in my mind is him and Julian Edelman because mm. Julian Edelman, like, like at least with Tom Brady, like he was playing quarterback at such a high level for so long that like it's impossible to not be like, all right, this is at least cool to see, like just to see him do it for this long and at this high a level. Like it's unprecedented. Like we're not going to see that happen again, I, I don't think. And like the way that he did it. So it's at least you got to at least marvel at the historical moment you're looking at. Like Julian Edelman, if you look at his numbers, I believe he only had what, 2,000 yard seasons in his entire 11 year career? Sorry, three. Yeah, that sounds right. Never more than 1,117 yards. Wait, but wait, wait, but wait, but is he a Hall of Famer, Mike? Oh, that's the thing. Oh, he he broke a record that Jerry Rice. Are you telling me right now he's Jerry Rice? He won so many Super Bowls, man. He's got to be a Hall of Famer. But the other thing, too, is the thing that I that why the Patriots fans, even though the Miami fans are kind of annoying and Buffalo had their moment, like the reason that New England fans and Boston fans in general will always be at the top of my proverbial shit list is the fact that they constantly, 
I mean, who? what sports city has won more than Boston in the last 20 years? None. They always have it. If the Patriots stink, like recently the Bruins are good or the Celtics are good or the Red Sox are, are terrible for like one year and then they flip it and win the World Series. Like they have just had this perfect sports city environment for decades and they always play this like nobody believed in us. We're the underdogs because like one person will say something moderately critical like an ESPN, I don't think the Patriots are that good this year. And then, oh, nobody believed in us. Like, it's just so phony, and it drove me nuts. And I know that I'm sounding triggered right now. I get it. I probably am. But, I mean, if you're not, are you really not a Jets fan? If that stuff doesn't bubble up some rancor in you? So I, I, I'm i with you, by the way. Obviously, I think Brady is definitely at the top of most Jets fans list. I, I want to really quick explain what sparked this segment for me because – I don't know how many people watching this know. I know you know this, Mike. I'm a big pro wrestling fan, right? So my world's kind of collided where uh, those two WWE wrestlers were on first take the other day and they were listing off uh, their like top five biggest heels or, you know, bad guys in the sports world. And Seth Rollins, who's one of the WWE wrestlers who happens to be a Chicago Bears fan, listed Aaron Rodgers as number one, as the biggest heel in all sports. Uh, and I, I get that. Obviously, from a Bears fan, I definitely get that. Um, so I just I thought it'd be fun. Well, you know, let's 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 talk about the biggest heels in Jets history. And I do really quickly want to answer a question from Josh Kerr in chat because uh, he comes out and he says, can a Jets player be a Jets enemy? He says, if so, it's Muhammad Wilkerson. I hated him at the end of his time with us. That's yes. a great shout. And absolutely. Yes, uh, there have been heels. There have been bad guys in the, the Jets world. Uh, who are definitely were members of the Jets, whether they're players, whether they're coaches, whoever. If we're doing this like, you know, draft style, if I can't choose who you've already chosen, uh, which I, by the way, I wouldn't have said Brady is number one. Brady, I don't think, I don't How think. How could you not? <laughs> because my number, I don't think Tom Brady is the number one hated figure for Jets fans, at least not for me. It's Bill Belichick. That's who number one is. I think okay, to, all right. Brady, because he has that history with the organization, and because more so than Brady throughout his entire career, his entire freaking life, he has made it a point to just get back at the Jets and to just continuously try and screw them over. He literally did it in April. Literally did it in April where he tried it. He traded down with the Pittsburgh Steelers, took a lesser deal with the Steelers because he thought the Steelers were to take the guy, Broderick Jones, who the Jets were targeting, which that didn't end up being the case. But that's what he believed. He did that because he specifically wanted to screw over the Jets. I don't think I need to go into detail about Bill Belichick's history with the Jets. But of course, former assistant with the team, he was going to be the head coach, sort of was for like a day. Literally a day. (laughs) Yeah, literally a day. Uh, And then obviously that didn't end up happening. And he goes on for two decades to torment the organization every step of the way. I think he has tormented the jets more than any individual that's ever existed in sports, in anything. He has tormented this organization more than Tom Brady, more than Dan Marino, more than Julian Edelman, more than anybody. So Bill Belichick, I think would be the number one heel, the number one bad guy, the foil, the enemy of the jets organization. He's up there. I I think for some reason maybe this is maybe this is just me. I always hated Brady more. I think part of it too was like I I get that Brady like at least Belichick too like I I, like he he just had this way about like I know it was irritating but like he had this fear factor in you where you're like oh geez we gotta go it felt like we oh we gotta go play Bill Belichick that's always what I felt like would always 
freaked me out more. It's like Brady, still like that. It felt like Brady like was an avatar of of Belichick that he was destroying the Jets through. Exactly. Brady was a a a subset of Belichick, right? Obviously, a significant subset. But he was he was the the a minion that Belichick deployed <laughs> to torment the Jets. Belichick's the evil mastermind. The thing that I maybe th- this is a completely personal opinion too, like. One thing that always drove me a little nuts about Brady and I think kind of contributed to some of the hate is like, I think just aesthetically, like with Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, they would make these throws where you're like, okay, like you just got to hand it up to him. Like Mm -hmm. Tom Brady had this like soulless, joyless, methodical way where he just went 31 to 14 every game, but it just looked like I'm going to be super precise and super like I could see why just watching that would be really demoralizing. Like, like I got a younger brother; he's seven. I would rather watch him and his friend play jacks than watch Tom Brady play quarterback. Do kids from an aesthetic jacks? point of Do view? Do kids still play jacks? Is that a thing? I would I would watch it over that. Like it just <laughs> it was this soulless, like methodical way that they played football. That's what drove me nuts. Like even I know some Jets fans would hate Dan Marino, but like. Dan Marino was probably like the Rodgers of his time, just flicking at 60 yards. I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. Dan Marino was kind of cool. Tom, Tom Brady was not. And I think that, that me too. It's like, oh, we're letting this guy every single year. Like no one can ever get a sack on him. No one can ever do anything. Okay. That, that's what always drove me crazy. I think the idea of Brady bothers people more than Brady himself. Cause I feel like Tom Brady is not the most unlikable person. That's he's a that's normal a, guy. Yeah. Maybe that's a hot take. Bill Belichick's a miserable dude, right? He's a miserable dude who takes every opportunity to shit on the Jets. Every chance he gets, he shits on the Jets, whether it's actually, you know, verbally or if it's literally using his actions to try and get one over on the team. He would specifically sign former Jets players because he wanted to get back at them. That was a thing that he did, and it still happens. I, I think I got it. He also had the latitude to do that because he lucked into Brady, so... Sure. And maybe that makes him more despicable. I don't know. Um, if we're still doing like like draft style, or whatever, obviously Dan Marino's up there. I'd also throw Don Shula in there because, again, we, we didn't grow up with that. But that's that's the coach of those Dolphins teams, those Dolphins teams that dominated the Jets for a decade plus, uh, obviously led by Marino, but also led by, you know, Don Shula as well was uh, a, a, you know, obviously significant part of that. Um, if we're talking Jets, guys, I have a, I have a whole big board that I literally made for the show, by the way, of of people that are, that are on like the, the, you know, the heel list, the bad guy list. If we're talking Jets people, people in the Jets organization, I think you got to talk Adam Gase. Like how it's do you, gotta not, be. I mean, it's gotta how be. Do you not talk Adam Gase and Rich Kotite for that matter. Again, also before our time, but just two the worst two coaches in Jets history. Rich Kotite was seemed to be more like not silly incompetent, but like in the way where you watch like a, a movie about a bad football team, like major yeah. league. And like, he's the coach where it's like, it's, it's almost like, it's like more pathetic. Like Adam Gase was annoying and irritating. I think Adam that Gase, puts him over Kotai. I think Adam Gase was so bad because he also ruined what, what looked like the start of, of an actual potentially like promising core. The, it's very, you know, it's a very common take. And I agree with it that he ruined Sam Darnold or at least had a large part in, in Sam Darnold's failures in New York. And so that, that obviously partially plays a role in it. Also, like he wasn't the most liked guy by any means as well by Jets players, but like, it's not like he was just some lovable loser like that. Not that he's a terrible person, but he had his fair share of, of, you know, spats with guys like Le'Veon Bell, obviously another guy he had a spat with who I also have on my list, Jamal Adams. I, I look, and obviously, I think time will heal more wounds with that. Time heals all wounds, and I think with Jamal Adams, that, that'll definitely be the case, especially because 
the Jets unloaded him and got a haul in return. I mean, thanks to Jamal he's Adams. In Seattle. He got his money in Seattle. He's doing yeah, okay. no, I'm happy for him legitimately. But thanks to Jamal Adams, the Jets didn't have to pay him a, a ridiculous amount of money for a player who has definitely not been anywhere near as good as he was with the Jets. He's also had injury troubles. But they got Garrett Wilson. They got Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, so it's hard to like fully hate on Adams. But obviously, I think if we're talking recent memory, he's got to be high on that list as well. He's got to be. Uh, the thing, too, with Gase is every minor thing was so unnecessarily combative. Yeah. Like, just basic questions about how the team operate. Why do you care? I'm not going to tell you. Like, he just had – I mean, the media didn't like him. Players didn't like him. It, the one funny moment I have at Adam Gase is remember when he said he, like, didn't go to Thanksgiving to game plan for the yeah. 0-11 Bengals and got blown out? Like, yep, yep. It, it, it's just it's this guy who thinks he invented football. That's the thing. And again, like I I don't believe that he has zero football knowledge and he just get like nepotism and like networked his way into this job, but like he just couldn't believe that his crap didn't stink. He just thought he was infallible. And if anybody challenged on basic things, who's calling the plays? Will this player be active? Where is this player gonna play? What did you say to Sam Darnold, your starting quarterback and allegedly at the time franchise quarterback? Like basic things he just couldn't answer it was really strange because i mean i mean miami he had some of that but nothing not not like this it, the jets got the worst of adam gase I they did that that 2019 2020 jets teams those those two years of jets are the most miserable jets teams i've ever watched and i i, I didn't get to see the rich kotite years but i would genuinely or i generally believe that i think even fans that watch those kotite years would compare the Gase years to the Kota years, if not worse. Uh, it was they, just they could have made the playoffs and been miserable. That's how it bad it was. Miser- they went seven and nine Gase's first year, and that was a horrible season. That was just a miserable year. I just it took all of the fun out of watching football. Jets fans were rooting for their team to lose every single week and upset when they won. Like it just took all the fun out of the Jets. And it's 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 kind of easy-ish to forget about it now because generally times are pretty good right now, but Man, that was rough. And Adam Gase is the face of those years of the Jets. Like that's that's why I think he definitely belongs high in this list. Um, I don't know about you. I have a couple of personal ones as well. It, it, one last thing though, it didn't even work because they it, didn't get right. Trevor Lawrence, so it didn't even work. You're right. If they got Trevor Lawrence, totally different. And that's yeah. you know, obviously, uh, you know, they ended up with Aaron Rodgers a few years later anyway. But regardless, if they ended they up were with trying Lawrence, to get Trevor Lawrence and they correct. did that. And if they ended up with Trevor Lawrence, I think that. Jets fans might see the Gase era as different because it'd be a failure, but also a success, but they didn't even tank right. You know, if they're, if you want to look at it that way, a uh, couple of quick personal ones that I, well, not as much personal with the first one, but I think just one of those guys who consistently annoying and always seem to have good games against the Jets, Stevie Johnson. Oh, the one guy <laughs> Revis couldn't cover. Exactly. I, I think guy. Johnson deserves a shout out. I wouldn't put him amongst the biggest foils in Jets history. Um, you know, but I think at least in my era growing up, that was one of those guys. I was like, God, I just hate him. I just hate playing against this dude. Because he always uh, had crappy quarter. Trent Edwards and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, always- Manuel later, I think he played with. Uh, it's just bad. It's bad. Um, and then one more, and this one I feel bad because I got nothing against the you know it was a person or whatever. And it's one specific play, uh, oh, but it is was, oh no, it's my it's my biggest like nightmare as uh, in my Jets watching career that I've been that I've been like a true fan watching, and it's Kendall Tompkins. I'm sorry. To he Kendall Tompkins. caught that ball at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry to Kendall Tompkins because I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. But, man, he is responsible <laughs> for one of the biggest letdowns I've ever had watching a sports team. 
Uh, just, you know, of course, 2015, they, they're 10 and five entering week, week six or week 17 playing the bills. And unfortunately Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, and the jets couldn't get it done. And it's because Kemble Tompkins had it. He had it in his hands. If he catches that pass, that long pass down the sideline, if he catches that, the Jets likely win that game, make the playoffs. And who knows what happens? Because that was a really good Jets team. But Patrick was playing really well. You had Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker. It was a damn good team. And unfortunately, uh, it was literally all downhill after that. After that play, we had like seven, eight years of misery. And it's still up until today, like just finally recovering. So that I, mean, I got to shout out. Too, is, I mean, he, was, he had his moment in New England. He and did. I, I still think that, look, I'm not saying that, that, that this is – 100% true, but I mean, if you told me that Bill Belichick was like, all right, we're going to send Kembrell to New York as some sort of like covert, like a mole, like if you told me that happened, I'd be like, all right, I believe that. <laughs> like it would not, it would not surprise me. Like maybe it's just me, Ed- Edelman too, and and Danny Amendola also. Yeah, that's yeah, a good There's shot. just something about like, Wes Welker, only, Wes Welker, like, too. Wes Welker, Wes Welker, even before them. Not even that. Wes Welker was really, really good. Like, he was. Wes Welker was, in my opinion, like twice the receiver Julian Edelman ever was. So at but least he still like, tormented the Jets. Like right, I agree. But I, I could at least say, all right, like it's like when Randy Moss was cooking the Jets. I'm like, all right, he's Randy Moss. He's really good. Like Julian Edelman, I just felt like, like how can nobody cover this dude? It mm-hmm. drove me. It drove me nuts. Danny Woodhead was like that too. Also, we're like. Yeah, maybe, I can never, maybe it's the I physical never, thing where these yeah. little tiny five, nine and a half guys who aren't fast and we're just like, how can this entire team not in five years figure out how to guard any of them? I, I can never hate Danny Woodhead, though, because he started with the Jets. He obviously, you know, he 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 is an underdog, like more so, I think, than everyone else. Um, so I, I, I can never hate Danny Woodhead, though. But I, I think do I have any, anyone else on my list? I, other guys that I mentioned, John Idzik, I think more recently. It's got to be up there. Again, for, he's in the co-type thing where it's like more pathetic yeah, than for the irritating. damage he did. Uh, Tremaine Johnson as well, more recently as oh, well, just kind of had a you know a huge uh, contract. Was I believe at the time the highest paid player in Jets history? Five year deal. A complete dud. Complete dud. Five year uh, deal. And then obviously Jim Kelly. I also put Jason Taylor on there as well, just for years of tormenting the Jets with the Dolphins. He I think has. Maybe more sacks than anybody against the Jets. Oh, Bruce Smith, I think probably. Oh, yeah, Bruce Smith, but again, like he, Bruce, so, so he's probably second behind Bruce Smith. But still, yeah. Bruce Smith's another guy. He tormented the Jets and the Bills. Yeah, but again, yeah, Bruce Smith was a better than Jason Taylor. Bruce Smith is still probably like a top five defensive end mm-hmm. ever. So, and Jason Taylor is great in his own right, but like, yeah, yeah. I again, I didn't live through those. You know, the Bills teams they went to four straight Super Bowls. I could have. I can imagine why they'd be irritating is that the whole K gun and this wide open, crazy offense. Like I can get why watching them score 35 was irritating, yeah. but I mean, nothing will top, N- not even Brady at the end of his career was more irritating. Like, like the 39, 40 years. It was like, it was like the, the late two thousands and early 2010s Patriots. Those mm-hmm. were the most annoying. I don't know why I think is like, they just didn't have like the offensive pieces. Like at the beginning of his career and the end of his career, Brady had the best support around him. So, and then once Moss left, so like the, like, you know, after Moss, like mm-hmm. Gronk before Gronk, he was Gronk, like his rookie. Aaron Hernandez. Year, yeah, Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> yeah, we, we all know how that, how that story yeah, resolved itself. Yeah. But uh, I mean, he had a couple years too, where he, 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 he would have been on this list if not for personal choices. But uh 
Yeah, he he had like because he that was the year where they went to the Super Bowl and lost by the Giants was like his coming out party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they never had receivers except for little shit and Julian Edelman and little Danny <laughs> Amendola, who could not beat you or me in a foot race. Welker was still there at that time. No, when Welker left in like 2014, well, right? Welker, yeah, I mean, I mean, well, yeah, 2012 was his last year with the Patriots. Yeah, because then he went to Denver with Peyton. So yep. he God, played man. eight games with the Rams. Didn't remember that. Oh yeah, that was like when he was really. Uh, yeah, it was his last year. I was like, dude, dude, hang it up. It's over, Wes. Yeah, I did not remember that. I, I, I would love to hear what other people have to say. Uh, if if we missed, because obviously we're both kind of from the same generation here, right? Uh, so we might have missed maybe like the Heidi game. Maybe the movie Heidi is is your biggest enemy in Jets history. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what like the NBC network producer? Yeah, the NBC, the NBC network for for airing <laughs> that movie. I don't know. Ooh, so, I got a I got a good one. Who? AJ Dewey. Oh, AJ Dewey. What? Well, I know that the was name. that Mud Bowl was game that? when they played oh. the AFC Championship and Richard Todd threw five picks. And yes, you know, it never rains in it never rains in Florida, so let's not put a, a tarp down. Yeah. Well, that also is like the uh, um, the grounds crew could be like because wasn't there like a thing with the grounds crew that they didn't? Um, oh, we should know this. Yeah, because it doesn't rain in Florida. They didn't put yeah. the tarp down, and then so, AJ Dewey, who had like five picks in his career, got three yeah. off of Richard Todd. Yeah, the AFC that, Championship game. You could say the the Dolphins grounds crew could also be on there. Uh, there's there's plenty of older ones too. I believe too that was the year David Woodley was the quarterback, who I believe is still the worst quarterback to ever play uh, in a Super Bowl. David Woodley. David Woodley. Wow. Him, him and Rex Grossman are there. So I mean, I, that was the year I think the Redskins beat him that year. But I mean, that Jets team would have given would have given him I think a little bit better of a run for their money than Miami did. Imagine that he went twi- he so they went 13 uh, or I'm sorry they went 11 3 and 1 with Woodley a quarterback in 81 he threw 12 touchdowns and 13 interceptions it was, Imagine just, that happening now like, that was just Don Chul. it was run the ball on slow and defense i mean that was i mean it worked it it did work yeah I, I would love to hear what other people have to say i think Belichick's top for me i, I don't think anything touches Belichick um but Brady's Brady's obviously pretty close yeah i i think so but nothing will top Tom Brady. So let us know maybe in a Apple review what you think. Maybe your biggest your biggest Jets enemy. Or you could just say you're following instructions and directions, whatever you want. It's just to get us up those Apple charts. You could always find us on there and on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you may get your podcast. We're over there. We're also on YouTube at the Jet Press. You can subscribe there. You can hit that little bell so you get notified whenever we go live. Take us home, Justin. Yes, sir. Really quick before we go, we just launched a uh, TikTok as well. Uh, I'm very new to the world of TikTok, so it's an experience, but definitely go out and follow us over on TikTok if you haven't already. Uh, but yeah, man, that, this is this is fun. I'm really glad we did that. That was that was a really fun I time. I needed to exercise some demons and yell about Kembrell Tompkins. Yeah, I, dude, if, it, if there's one thing Jets fans can do, it's it's complain and, and just, you know, just reminisce on bad past experiences because there's been a lot of them. <laughs> anyway, though, thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow Jet Press at the Jet Press. You can download Jet Press podcast wherever you guys get your podcast. Also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. You all know what to do. We stream live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you all for listening to Jet Press podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That has been Mike Luciano. See you guys next time. See you folks next week. <laughs>